0: Hello and welcome back to Playability, where we hold conversations at the crossroads of gameplay and accessibility. I'm your host, Lauren Wolsey, and I'm here today with Joe Hopkins, the designer of Endangered. So, Joe, how's it going?
1: Going good. How are you?
0: Excellent. All right, so tell me about this game's backstory.
1: Sure. So I've been designing games for... 10 years actually and this is my first game that's going to be published and for the majority of that time I'd been building competitive games games where only one person wins cuz I knew that cooperative games take a lot of balancing you have to do a lot of play testing it's like I don't want to do a ton of play testing on that but then I finally said you know what I'm going to do a cooperative game and this was a theme that spoke to me it's a theme that is you know relevant it's timely it's happening right now Yeah, and it just kind of took off. Showed it to Grand Gamers Guild, and they loved it. And so I should have done a cooperative game sooner, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I've played a prototype of this with you. For our listeners, Mm -hmm. can you go through the theme a little bit?
1: So, Endangered is a cooperative game where you are a conservationist working together with the other players to save a species from extinction.
0: And the game comes with a couple of different Animal species that you're saving. What was the first one that you came up with, and how did you decide on which ones to add to the game?
1: The first one I came up with was the rhino scenario. That was a long time ago. And from there, I did a whole bunch of research on what kind of issues that that species faced. And so I started working on the tiger scenario, which is actually what's in the base game. The base game will have two scenarios the tigers and the sea otters.
0: And then there's additional scenarios that you're working on as possible expansions?
1: Yeah, the panda scenario will be one of our stretch goals.
0: Perfect. And so it's a cooperative game, so everyone's trying to win. And can you go through how the game plays? Like what are the primary mechanics that the players have access to?
1: Yeah, the primary mechanic is it's a dice placement game. So very similar to a worker placement, except instead of placing your worker, you're rolling your dice and the die values indicate where you can place. You actually kind of are getting in each other's way a little bit with your worker placement and dice placement. In a normal competitive game, when you place your worker, you block someone, and that's a good thing. And in this case, you place your worker and you block other people from using that action, and that's a bad thing because you want them to be able to use that action. So that's the main mechanic. There are, of course, in any cooperative game, bad things that are trying to happen too, and your actions are mostly trying to stop those.
0: Certainly. Now, for winning the game, what do players have to achieve or accomplish in order to win the game?
1: Yep. In order to win the game, you have to convince the UN to pass the resolution to save the species. So during the game, you're going to be giving influence to the different ambassadors. And that's the only way to win. There are a couple ways to lose. If you run out of animals, if, you know, there's only one animal left in the world, well, it's too late. If you run out of time or if you run out of habitat.
0: Excellent. So let's turn now to our sort of focus here at Playability and the question that we ask all of our guests. What does accessibility mean to you?
1: Accessibility means to me the ability to play regardless of physical ability.
0: And what decisions did you make in the game design process where you had accessibility in mind or changes that you've made along the way as you've learned more about what players will be able to do with your game?
1: Well, the big thing is we want everyone to be able to see themselves in this game. This is not a game where you're building an ancient city or you're building robots in the future. This is a game about something that's happening now. It's something that everyone can do something about now. And so we've worked to make sure that not only is that this game is not just focused on American animals, not just focused on American government, but focused on the world, focused on everyone. So we've also made sure that all of the characters in the game, we have different backgrounds, different races, different genders. We of course did, you know, the normal thing for game design, make sure it's colorblind friendly. This is also a cooperative game, which really brings people together, and there's no hidden information, so you don't actually have to physically move the pieces. You can be part of the conversation, even if you can't actually manipulate the pieces um, mm-hmm. if you were you paralyzed. and
0: explain what you want to do on your turn.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Right. I know that there are different player abilities in the game. Can you go through some of those and how you've incorporated those different backgrounds into the artwork for those
1: Yeah, so each character has several different abilities, but each character, so we have 5 different characters. We've got the TV wildlife host and the philanthropist and the zoologist, and on each character, it's a double-sided card and on one side we have a male and on the other side we have a female. And it it's up to the player which side they want to play. And that's strictly a aesthetic decision. It doesn't affect the gameplay, but we actually you know, commissioned to have the art done for both genders on every single character. And we also made sure that we had many different races represented in those different characters.
0: Yeah, having two genders is certainly a good start. And I know that that's always nice to be able to see yourself in the game, even if it's a limited range that can be put into five Characters two-sided, it's still a good start and a good thing to pay attention to. Taking into consideration the game's theme and the mechanics and everything, who would you say is the target audience for this game?
1: The target audience of the game is players that enjoy cooperative games at about a medium weight complexity in terms of game design. The game is very relevant. It's very topical. About you know, It's about something that's happening now. And we hope that that also appeals to people that might not be into games as well. And so the complexity level isn't quite at a gateway level. It's a little bit higher than that. But we found that even players that are not into games, not like into those hardcore long gamer games, still really enjoy it, especially since it's cooperative. You don't have to catch everything on the first pass since the entire table is working together. And so if someone says, no, don't do not do that because of this, you're like, you don't end up in a situation where everyone else is beating you and there's nothing you can do about it since you're all working together. We do have a family version that we're also going to be releasing um, as one of the stretch goals, hopefully. And that one will appeal to kids as young as six. Excellent. So playing with a parent. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you think makes this game most memorable for players?
1: Yeah, so this game is very emotional actually, and it's rare that you find a game that elicits a lot of strong emotions, for good or for bad, but during this game you have animals on the board and unfortunately sometimes there are cards that require you to remove those animals. And people get very upset about that. They're like, No, I don't No. And it really um is very memorable because of those those things. Because of that, when that happens, like I said, it's very emotional. It's it's not the same emotion as when you know you're playing a war game and you lose an army. Most people are like, oh, well, that's okay. I'll I'll just do this next turn. But uh, yeah, losing that one little cardboard animal, people get very upset about that. So
0: they get very invested. Yeah. Yeah, they do. What's your favorite part of the game as a player, and not just from a game design perspective?
1: Yeah. My favorite part of the game is the placing of the dice. It's like, since you are blocking each other with your dice, you have to make sure that you're being very cooperative and talking through your decisions with people. And it's very puzzly as well. Like, oh, we need to do this right now. But if I do this, I'm going to block you. And working through that puzzle as a group is a really great experience, I feel.
0: Yeah, I certainly had fun playing. It was a it was certainly an older version of the prototype, but even then it was it was quite fun. Do you have a way that you've found to mitigate any like alpha gamer personalities?
1: Yeah, we had Chris Bedell, the designer of Sentinels on the Multiverse. He played this game and he gave us a really good piece of advice, and that was that there are some cooperative games that completely eliminate the alpha player or they address it, but There are other games like Sentinels where an alpha gamer can exist, but it's much rarer because each person has their own role, each person has their own thing that they're good at. Before I talked with him, each role was pretty much the same, and so it really pushed us to make sure that each of those roles had a different feel. The philanthropist is really good at collecting money, the zoologist is really good at handling the animals, the lobbyist is really good at convincing the ambassadors and influencing them to win the game. So makes it so that if there's someone who is an alpha gamer, you aren't maybe going to get alpha gamed by them because you know your role, you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, it's certainly good to lean into the changes or the variable player powers so that people feel more invested in what they are and what they are contributing to the group rather than being kind of interchangeable. That's a good piece of advice. For our listeners interested in getting a copy of this game, when will it be available or where can they go to get a copy?
1: It's going to be on Kickstarter April 2nd through the 26th and it's going to be released by Grand Gamers Guild. So if you go to grandgamersguild.com, sign up for the newsletter, we'll make sure you know what's going on.
0: Perfect. And how can our listeners connect with you on social media?
1: Oh, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Average Joe Games. That's A V G Joe Games. You can also reach me at JoeHopkinsGames at gmail.com.
0: Perfect. And for the Kickstarter, and this episode will probably come out during that Kickstarter process, are there any other stretch goals to the game that you're hoping to reach?
1: Yeah, so the Panda Scenario was one that I really hope we hit, that we fund that one the family version. I mentioned that already. We also have some additional player powers for each of the different characters. And uh, right now, the animal tokens are going to be punch-out chits, but we've seen some like uh, screen-printed wood that is really awesome. Hoping we we fund that.
0: Oh, I bet that would be gorgeous.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the game itself is very beautiful. Beth Sobel and Ben Flores were our artists, and they did a really good job.
0: Oh, that's fabulous. Well, I look forward to seeing the completed and beautified version. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Endangered today. And I look forward to the next time I get to play it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: For more information about the topics that we discussed in this episode and the links that we just mentioned, we'll have those in the About This Episode section on our website at playabilitypod.com. And if our listeners have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, please email us at playabilitypod at gmail.com and find us on major social media platforms as at playabilitypod. Thanks again for listening. Play with a new perspective.